With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome back for another edition of the Hawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alfstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Seahawks fans, welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alvstead, here with Keith Myers, and uh, we're here to talk Seahawks football and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff today. Not quite as fun as normal, I don't think, but uh, we're going to give it a go and, and see how we do. The topic today is going to be COVID-19 and uh, the impact on the NFL this year. Uh, including the uh, the new season coming up in uh, the fall and how it impacts training camps and uh, team facilities and team meetings and learning and everything else that we can possibly stuff into this show we will talk about. So uh, joining me today is Keith Myers. Keith, welcome in. After 170 episodes of being a fairly optimistic pair of guys talking Seahawk football, this show has the potential to feel a bit of a downer. So we'll see if we can not have it end up being a bit of a downer. Um, but that's a task that we may or may not be up to. So we'll we'll do our best. Though. It is interesting, Keith, because uh, you and I had made a conscious decision to avoid this topic for the most part. Um, certainly not uh, to make it political early on, and, and we have. Um, in fact, we try to avoid politics for the most part in this show, just in general, um, just because we want to give every, any, everybody that's listening what they came in for, which is to talk about Seahawks and all that kind of stuff. So we've focused on that. Today, though, I think we just kind of reached a topic and a point in time in our ongoing Seahawks conversations, and you mentioned 170 plus episodes, of where we really do need to start talking about this. Um, mm-hmm. and its impact, its effect on the league, on people, on the team, on fans. <clears throat> we can t- draw in uh, examples of other leagues, how other leagues are kind of handling things, where this sort of pandemic stands right now uh, in the United States, what we're doing about it, um, how we're trying to reopen things up a little bit. Um, you're seeing that now it's kind of a state by state effort. Um, quite frankly, just because of a lack of a centralized federal response, states are kind of having to patchwork this thing together. Anyway, I just kind of want to lay this thing out for us. Um, so that we can kind of have a basis for the discussion. I think this whole thing, and, and and we've talked about it, you know, uh, behind the scenes, um, 
but we've purposefully avoided the topic up until now. And um, the discussion today is kind of prompted by the article over at Field Goals that was done last week, um, rather brilliantly, I thought, by John Fraley, titled Why the Season Doesn't Happen. And it's a um, it's a somewhat pessimistic approach, yet I find it rather realistic in how it kind of brought all the arguments together. And we're going to kind of bring those in for discussion so that we can kind of talk about those things, because I think he made some great points that are worthy of um, putting out there and throwing about and see if we can kind of come up with some consensus where that we can refute any of those things, how likely we think those things might be, whether they're, um, you know, we'll just well, see I how it goes. I thought the article was a little pessimistic, but I also felt it was honest. That that was the word that came to mind, is that there are a whole bunch of different um, obstacles that, that any league has to get by in order for a season to happen. And this is going to be a difficult year for the league to manage all of those different hurdles so that way they can, you know, have some semblance of a season. A year from now, we won't be talking about this because a year from now there will be a vaccine. Hopefully, and everyone will be. Well, there are already. It's either that um, or herd immunity. Into, we'll talk about that. So. Yeah, but we're we're well. They're well into phase two of of the uh, of trials, so I think that we're on on pace for uh, for that to to be a thing. But we have to go into this fall without a vaccine, without any kind of herd immunity, with uh, a situation where people might be lured into a false sense of security this summer because especially in southern states where it's warmer and the virus will will struggle to transmit um but then when we get into the fall and things cool down you know we could see a, a huge spike in cases again and this could be something that that comes back and it's going to be something that you have to plan for a million different contingencies so that way you know how to navigate it uh because there's no there's no uh, roadmap. There's no way to to know what's coming. There's just too many different variables. There's too many unknowns. And even the best doctors and experts in the world don't know enough to tell us exactly what's going to happen. I think John, you know, framed this correctly in saying that um, basically that everything needs to go right to have a season, but only one thing has to go wrong to cancel the season. You know, that's basically mm-hmm. the sum of of what he's really saying. And it's, you know, it's it's very honest in that assessment and in, in that that could possibly be completely true. Um, so COVID-19. So, you know, in January, we really didn't we it didn't even cross our minds that this was a possibility. And then all of a sudden this was thrust upon us as a society. In fact, uh, Washington state up, up in the Seattle area was first hit and, um, you know, in, in tragic circumstances hit, uh, nursing homes. And, and since then it has just overtaken, uh, not only the United States, but <clears throat> every country in the world or nearly every country in the world. And we shut down the economy. I mean, we shut everything down. We kind of, uh, shelter in place orders. Uh, like I said, each state kind of did a patchwork um, response uh, out of need um, to figure out how they were going to prevent surges and hospitals and all that kind of stuff. So that is kind of past us. We've gotten through that large hurdle, if you will, and we've kind of come out on the other side. And now there's lots of pressure by society, by individuals, by whatever to reopen you know and you can't you can't stay in shutting down an economy forever it just isn't going to work we're going to have to figure out how to come together and work to get to a situation where we have solutions that we can moderate this thing yet still be able to interact go to work um provide for families, et cetera. And, and the NFL is part of that situation in that it's an economic-based, uh, free enterprise-driven system. 
uh, in the entertainment industry, but it's a very big iconic thing in the United States um, that provides entertainment and hope and enthusiasm and provides scholarships, you know, a road to uh, the NFL uh, provide, along the way provides scholarships and college and all that kind of stuff. And we haven't even talked about the impact that a, a college season or lack thereof would have in this whole thing as well. We can talk about that. But um, all of this is really driven by economics, Keith. You know, the, mm-hmm. the current unemployment levels are somewhere between 25 and 30 percent. That could go much higher if we don't mitigate that. Um, but most, most leaders in government and business acknowledge that the country just can't continue to go like 18 months, 24 months in the existing situation that we have. We have to find a way forward. Um, but in other words, we're going to have to live with COVID-19 for a long time. Um, or we're going to have to find ways to, to live with it. We're going to have to make decisions about family interactions and responsible ways to open up businesses. And how important is entertainment? Um, what about the safety of those folks, the players, their families, uh, executives within, you know, NFL teams and, and not just NFL, but this is, you know, c- companies, corporations, restaurant workers, et cetera. This is all, we're all part of the kind of the same thing. Um, so how can we develop adequate testing for players and fans and families? Um, how do we logistically get through this. Um, and that's part of the, some of the challenges as well. Um, and then you, you know, you center in on the, on the NFL and you get to kind of John's issues and his points in his article. And he puts up the different roadblock possibilities that will come up as part of trying to go forward with a full season in the NFL. In addition, you know, the NBA is trying to open up the, uh, Major League Baseball is trying to start again uh, overseas. You're seeing sports leagues uh, have, a, have a go at it. Keith, what are your overall thoughts on what's happened so far, how we've got to this point, how we move forward in a, you know, like almost, to me, it's almost like an ethical question. Like, do we press forward with sports and entertainment knowing that you're going to put maybe lives at risk, families at risk, Families may be separated during certain times uh, during the league year uh, from from players just to avoid transmitting a a disease, a virus, and a pandemic. I mean, how do we navigate that? Um, Well, I mean, that's one of the things is you look at that and you're like, yeah, it's almost an ethical issue. But at the same time, like – the NFL employs a lot of people and not just the players and the people in the front office, but the people who work at stadiums and um, all that kind of stuff. There, there are a lot of people whose livelihood depends on this league. And so not doing anything to open up with and even attempt to do something in the NFL actually hurts a bunch of people. And that's on top of the morale issue nationwide. If there's no sports, I mean, we've seen this already when, the NBA shutdown and everything else, it affected everybody. Um, and you could see that it, it just makes it harder to endure, you know, the challenges and the, um, you know, just kind of the depression that sets in when you're stuck at home and all that kind of stuff. And if we have to continue that without the thing, some of these things that we enjoy without some of these things that are a part of our lives and are ingrained in our society. And it just makes it more difficult. And uh, I foresee these leagues, I mean, they're economic based. So unless, uh, unless, you know, Congress or someone is going to bail out and give them a bunch of money not to play, which won't happen. Um, they're going to try and play. They're going to try and, and jump in and, and yeah, is it going to put players at risk? Yes. Is it going to put their families at risk? Probably. Is it going to put other people um, who work for the league at risk? Yes, it will. But they're going to push forward anyway and do what they can and to, to try and find ways to mitigate it, but still put out a product so they can um, make money. They can, um, you know, meet the needs of their contracts that they've signed. So, uh, with television so are we all good that. with that? I mean, all of our listeners, are you and I, do 
do we have a choice? Do we have a choice? I mean, that's a real basic question. It seems so simple, yet it's just so fraught with complications and, you know. So, okay, so let's just decide for the show's sake that, yes, we agree the league should push forward. Um, I think most people do think that the league should lead in this aspect of trying to find a way to navigate um, this pandemic in order to be able to proceed. And, and they have planned as such. They've put out the 2020 schedule. It's a full 16-game schedule with a bye week. Um, there is a few things in there that they can manipulate to push the league back, say, a month, four games or whatever, and then uh, end the league uh, later. There's some things that they could do to you know cut the schedule down if they had to and so forth. There's the league, you know, I, I personally, it's hard for me to imagine fans in the stands at this point, but let's let, let's let that go forward another couple months and see where we're at and at the end of July and, you know, figure that out. But for now, there's all sorts of contingencies out there. The hard part about uh, the NFL in general is this level of uncertainty in a league that so meticulously plans its every move. Is, is a huge disruption for them. So they've got all sorts of contingencies here, um, which is which is a good thing. But let's get into the into the nuts and bolts of this thing, Keith. As far as what what John laid out in his article, <clears throat> which was what what can happen to kind of throw a wrench into um, the league. And, and his first. Um, his first point is a severe outbreak in the general population could disrupt the beginning uh, or or at any time during the the 17 weeks that the NFL goes and in, not including playoffs and Super Bowl and so forth. So at any time yeah, look at, an look outbreak could come and what what are we going to do what are we going to in New York New York and New Jersey um when this first wave hit right where um, I mean, Grant, part of it was that the response was was slow, but uh, it hit hard and there were a lot of cases and a lot of deaths and a lot of like problems. And this was a, a really serious thing. And it shut down, you know, that part of the country just completely because hospitals were getting overwhelmed and it was such a big deal. Um, so what happens if that happens again? Like, you know, we're into... You know, we're somewhere in the season, like we're four weeks in, and a big, massive outbreak hits LA, which has two teams. W- what happens? Do, do we just go, oh, well, do we, we're just going to move all the LA teams and players to uh, Arizona and, you know, Texas or wherever and just keep going and act like it didn't happen? Or do we have to shut, or do, do they shut things down because? You know, the people who well, and it might there, not even be up to the league. It might not even be up to the league to make that decision, which is the, the crazy part. It's, you know, the governors of those states may say, look, we've got to shut this thing down. We've got to have complete social distancing, stay at home orders are back in place. You've got, you know, all that stuff that could completely derail at any time. Mm-hmm. So that would be a, a big thing. Dr. Fauci the other day uh, had an interview with Peter King and said in that interview, uh, quote unquote, the virus will make the decision for us. And that's very true. It's just yeah. going to be the nature of the deal. So if we can go along and everything's looking great in September and everything's, we're, we've tamped this thing down and we start the season, you know, at any time you mentioned the fall, you know, they're talking about a, a second surge and so forth. At any time that thing could, could come up and, and hit us pretty hard. And uh, who knows how that, that would impact things. Um, the other uh, second point um, would be a significant outbreak on one team. Um, for example, Seattle. Say you get a you know th- between three and ten players uh, infected. <clears throat> Those people have had contact with everyone else in the facility at that point. Uh, their families, etc. Maybe another team. If we played a game that week before they, they before they tested positive or whatever, um, that could definitely definitely shut down that team. And would that be has the has the league 
thought about a contingency for that. Would they shut down the entire league because of one team? Or would they just have that one team basically forfeit a couple of games on a 14-day quarantine? Yeah, and so there's that part of it, but there's also the part of it when it comes to competitive balance. If they go, okay, you know what, as long as we keep it under a certain number, we're going to uh, continue the games. And in Seattle, they lose, you know, uh, a couple of special teams, players, and a wide receiver, and, you know, to quarantine, but no one, because but we have significant testing. So we know everybody else is, is good to go and they get decided to play it. But then, you know, the... The Saints lose, you know, Drew Brees and uh, Michael Thomas. And so now you're looking at, right, they kept things going for when Seattle had a couple players uh, that got sick and had to go in quarantine. But now you're talking about star players and the uh, the idea that one of the the teams that was in the playoff hunt now suddenly isn't because a couple players got sick. Um, it's almost like you'd have to, to go, go into the season knowing that your team could definitely face a two-game stop and you'd have to forfeit those games. I mean, this could, it's just going to be crazy. I mean, at the end, when it's all said and done, you're just going to have to put a big asterisk on this whole thing, you know? <laughs> it's just, I just, there's so many different things that could happen that it, it just boggles my mind. I just, it's hard to wrap my brain around it, to be completely honest. Um, as far as what kind of an impact that would have and what the league would decide to do in those individual situations. You know, and I, I think of us recording in October, Keith, and having these discussions when they're real. And it, it's just, it's going to be a crazy, crazy year. Okay. The other uh, third point was a, a player or a key decision maker dies. Um, mm -hmm. We know that this is a possibility. I mean, let's just be honest. Nobody really wants to talk about death and dying and people that we love and care about and, uh, you know, our sports heroes and all that kind of stuff. But this could have a significant impact on whether the league proceeds or goes forward. And it would transcend, I think, all sports leagues. So if, one, if, a, if a major player or a, a key decision maker or a head coach were to pass away from this because the league went in and played their games, you know, um, that could have serious ramifications. Yeah. And, um, I was looking, I was trying to figure out who it was. Um, but, uh, what was it like 10 years ago or 15 years ago the Miami dolphins had a player like die, um, during training camp was overheated and, and, um, man, I feel like I should, should remember this, but I don't. Um, and so you end up with uh, a situation where it, ha it, it, it's happened right in the past and the league didn't shut down. They, um, uh, kind of just did a bunch of memorials and things to honor the player. And kept that going. is kind of a one-off situation, but this would be more of a rolling situation where that could just be the first one. There could be others if you kept going. Well, true. But I'm just, if you, I, I would say in, in the situation, they would, they would probably, they would probably keep going because what would happen is if, if you have like two players in the league that are sick or two players per team or whatever, some, some small number, and one of them happens to get really sick. Um, and it's the thing, if nobody else in the league is getting sick and they're keeping the numbers down because of, um, constantly testing, like daily testing, um, to make sure that, to see who, if anyone's mm -hmm. had it or not, that kind of thing. And they're doing all these different precautions and they've managed to keep the, the number of cases within the league really, really low mm -hmm. so that the first, the first, you know, couple of points that we've talked about haven't happened. Um, the fact that one of them actually got to be that severe would be tragic and it would be something that the league would honor this person and all that. But I don't think they would stop because we've seen instances where they've continued in the past. How do you feel about that? <clears throat> I, 
didn't feel right about it then, and I don't really feel great about it now, but I, I that's just kind of the way they do these things. Um, it comes down to, I mean, you look at what happens when significant things happen to players. It doesn't have, doesn't have to be like a, a player, you know, dies, like in this case, but like, you know, Brett Favre's dad died, and then he had to go out and play the next day. Um, granted, he had one of the best games of his entire career that day, but... Uh, but this is a situation would... where the league... The league opened up, and the players, because they're under contract, had to play the games in order to fulfill their contracts. So this is a contractual obligation situation. And so it's not necessarily completely voluntary, although I would imagine most players would want to play. But there could be players out there that may feel completely uneasy about this. Um, that would decide, you know what? I gotta, I gotta draw my line. Not only for me, but my family. I'm putting my family at risk. I'm putting my parents, my grandparents at risk. You know, if they're part of the household or whatever. Um, and so you've, you know, you begin to think about those things. The other thing. Um, and I'm going to skip, I'm going to skip number four. I'm going to number five is liability and litigation. Cause it kind of ties into this. Um, <laughs> it absolutely, you know, players that. could decide they don't want to play. In fact, I, I didn't write it down, but I saw on Twitter that a player was like, you know, if we don't have adequate testing and if we're not, if we're being asked to go out and play, um, I, I don't, I don't think that I would, you know, and that was from one player, I didn't re- recognize his name or whatever, so I didn't write it down, but I have a feeling that there would be more than one. Um, and how do you handle the liability and litigation? What if a judge says, okay, until this thing is settled, we're going to shut shut it down? Well, I think what, what would happen is you're going to see any player that comes back during this that during this and therefore is going to, you know, earn their paycheck and whatnot is going to have to sign. Oh my goodness. Uh, waiver. Liability waiver. Oh my goodness. Um, in order, and, and that's going to be true. I mean, I straight up, like we can talk. How many players are straight up not going to sign the liability waiver before they take the field and not play this year? Uh, that, that right there is, I think the better question, because what you're going to have is you're going to have player, a few players on each team. I honestly believe you'll have, uh, two or three players on each team, and and they might be, you know, mid level players or you know special team guys, or they might be stars that are like, you know what, I I'm not going to do it, and they're not going to play that year. And what's going to happen is they're um, according to the league rules, unless they they change the rules, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But what you're going to have is you're going to have a situation where the um, that players will just be like, okay, I'm not going to play this year. Their contract just gets pushed a year. Yeah, it's like from from their contract. And that's the best year, like case scenario. You know, that's the best case scenario. Worst case scenarios, their contracts voided, depending on the language. Yeah, depending on the language. I I would guess that um, given the nature of the league and the lawsuits and the fact that all of this is going to have to be collectively bargained, which uh, it's going to be a, it'll just get pushed out because otherwise you'd have, te- you'd have players who would want out of their contract. Um, players that are really unhappy with their contract who would intentionally say, Oh, I'm going to sit out, which would then void their contract and get them out of it. So they could go sign a bigger contract. With Is there else. a scenario where you could see, um, people going on strike, for example, uh, that don't necessarily have collective bargaining, agreements in place um but could say we're not going to work um team uh, uh not team executives per se but probably people that work for the team people that work in the locker room um tv broadcasting uh workers uh folks that drive the trucks set up the gear uh do the broadcasts ex- producers etc all work in fairly d- close quarters you know in the uh producing production trucks and so forth um, all it takes is one group of people to say, we're not going to tolerate this or whatever the situation is. It, it, there's just a lot to, to think about. I mean, there's like, like, uh, John said, uh, everything needs to go right 
to have the season, but there's a lot of things in here that could disrupt that. It, it, it's, it's just kind of interesting to think about. Um, mm-hmm. Getting back to the number four, civil unrest. Um, there could be a severe disruption in society uh, in general. Uh, let's just say uh, the, the virus comes back in uh, July, August in the general population. The league's still proceeding. Um, uh, there's uh, different states have uh, stay at home orders reinstated. Uh, restaurants are shut down. Everything else. Uh, we've already seen some civil disorder disruptions at state houses and so forth and protesting, uh, opening up the, the economy and, and so forth. Those things could become more pronounced. Uh, we've already seen uh, folks that are armed out there uh, making their statement. These things could get somewhat ugly and turn into, you know, whatever. Um, not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying this is what John wrote. This is a, is a possibility. Maybe it's small, but it is something that could definitely disrupt not only football, but a whole bunch of other stuff. Well, there's, there's precedent for this one too. Um, and that would be, uh, in baseball where we had like basically riots and stuff going on and the league not playing those games. And they just, uh, are you talking about the LA like, riots? Or are you talking about like uh, Vietnam type stuff? What era no, are talking you talking about, about? I'm talking about in LA Rodney uh, King tenor- stuff in 89 or whatever. It, yeah, and there's there's those, and then there's some other ones um, more recently. But stuff like that was going on, and the the the, the uh, baseball just was like, okay, we're not don't we don't want any of our employees in there because that's where some you know it's it's really close to where some of the stuff is going on. We don't want um, team employees, stadium employees there. We're just going to cancel all the games in there for the time being, and they waited till everything calmed down, and then they went back to work. Um, and so that's a possibility. It's not a great, uh, way of doing it, but there is precedent to, you know, this, um, civil unrest being a problem, uh, and leagues just not wanting a piece of it. It seems like it would be a larger problem if there was actually fans in the stands. So if the fans were loaded with stuff and then people were protesting outside, that could be a problem since they're empty and it's just teams, and they get bust mm-hmm. into the corridors underneath the stadium, and there really no is no public uh, access. Um, that may be less of a concern, just for the games themselves. Yeah, if you can get if you can get the people there safely, uh, and that will be the the concern is can you get the people to the facility safely? Because if there's no fans in the stands, then you're only talking about getting the players. Um, the team employees and the broadcast people to the to the stadium. And as long as you can get them there safely, you can use the stadium as itself as a way to to shield uh, <laughs> what's going on outside from, about from there. This. It's crazy. But, it is. It's absolutely crazy. But these are the kinds of th- different things that we're that we're looking at. Because <laughs> let's face it, we are in a situation where um, our nation is very divided politically, and our unemployment rate just shot through the roof. And people are going to be very frustrated, very angry. They're going to be, and it doesn't matter. This is not pointing uh, at any one side of, of the political spectrum. It's just going to be the way it is. And we are sitting on a potential for if things get worse, and especially if we open stuff up and then have to reshut it back down, um, for things to get really bad. And so I, well, yeah, it's it seems crazy to talk about it. It's not, it's a non-zero uh, percent probability that it happens. And therefore that's true. It's, it's, you know, it is something that, that we have to consider at this point, if you're going into what does it take to get the league going? You have to make sure that if this happens, you have a contingency plan in place. Wow. I wonder if that includes beefed up security. Um, so this, this next point is actually one that's, I think most relevant in that um, he, he wrote, baseball starts in July but has to shut down before September. Mm-hmm. So two sports leagues in the United States, NBA, Major League Baseball, are on track to begin again. The NBA wants to resume its season, and Major League Baseball wants to start its season. Um, it sounds like 
NBA is going to come first. Uh, there's a very active group that is, is pushing to get this thing going um, and having that open. And then Major League Baseball in July, both of which I think are without fans in the stands. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> you know, without fans in the stands actually makes the most sense because you're impacting as least people as possible and you're confining everything to just within the organizations, which helps. But there could still be situations where you've got outbreaks within teams and so forth and then teams playing other teams and then spreading that and so forth. And not, not only that, you can spread that then to communities and so forth. So, uh, Well, kind of. So if you look at what the, if the NBA is working on is – there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts that all these things are need to come together before the, the games start. But one of the things they're working on is how to put a bubble around the league. So you've well, got they, twelve they players, had, three coaches. They had two players um, that shut down the entire league and in, in, that were infected from Utah, and that was it. Yeah, but they but they did infect other people. I mean, you had other teams get infected because they played against those two players. But if you take the entire league and you test everybody regularly and you put the league in a we bubble can't even which, is test what they wanted, which is what they want to do is to put um to put all the, the league in a bubble so all the players coaches um you know staffers all those kind of things are basically living in where they don't have contact with people outside of that group or other people that are also in an, an NBA bubble. Um, and that might include families. It might not include family families because the families would have to agree to stay within that bubble and not go out and not see other people and not see that. And so that it might be like, mm, we can include our family in the, in the bubble or the family can do its own thing. And the, it's basically like the players are going to be on the road for the rest of the season. Uh, because they just won't have that contact with their own family. Um, and so th- that's one of the things they're looking at. I think you could do that in basketball because you're looking at um, maybe 30 players a team, maybe 50 players a team, or not players, but people uh, at the most. Um, you, with baseball, you're talking about twice or three times that number. And with football, you're talking about you know eight times that number. And so it's just kind of impossible to happen – uh, in the NFL, well, let's talk about that because, um, that was one of the, the last points was the logistics, um, of this whole thing. The, not only the physical aspect of the game itself, um, but the, the testing, the physical location mm-hmm. challenges, the families in isolation, bubble cities, um, Dallas. In fact, Jerry Jones has come out and said that, uh, he would be willing to host the entire NFL in Dallas um, to not only play at the, at the, the big stadium there, but they've got, you know, four colleges uh, in close proximity where other games could be located and, and basically play two, three games uh, a day um, all week, um, like four days a week or, or however many games it would take to get that done and just have folks stay in the same city not have to travel. Um, they're going to be broadcast anyway. There's no fans. So it logistically could make sense to basically put everyone in the same boat, so to speak, and have it sit in one place, just anchor, anchor the boat. Mm -hmm. And, um, it just seems like such a desperate situation, like such a desperate attempt at continuing something that maybe doesn't make sense to continue. You know, we're, we're all trying to make this work in a situation which is throwing up massive roadblocks everywhere we turn. I mean, we just talked about a, a bunch of them and probably left a bunch off the, off the discussion table. And here we are, we're talking about, you know, whether baseball and basketball works before we even get to football. And then the logistics of, uh, close proximity contact in the NFL is second to none. I mean, other than maybe wrestling, uh, people at, on on defensive and offensive lines literally press their bodies and faces up close to each other and snort and spit and cuss and, you know, all within <laughs> a foot of each other. Um, it's just hard to imagine, but we'll go for it. Logistics. Yeah. Talk to me uh, about what, logistics. What so I think the idea that um, Jerry Jones put forth and is like, hey, well, let's do this. Let's 
Um, you know, each team gets a hotel. They're the only people that are in and out of that hotel, nothing else. Um, and you, we have these stadiums. It's not like the colleges are going to be using them. They'll, you know, pay the colleges to rent out the stadium for the year. And, um, you know, it's as far as the locker rooms and stuff, you know, just you pay people to come in and bleach everything, you know, every time a team comes in. Uh, as soon as they leave, uh, type of thing, and you could kind of do that. I think getting thirty-two teams in one city like that, where you've got uh, five stadiums for practice, and 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 that is probably too many to get all of them there. But if you could get, you know, fifteen, because that's like well, I mean, each. you could do half um, in uh, Dallas and half in Houston. Houston or San Antonio or whatever. You know, you'd want mm-hmm. to keep them There's, close enough, but yeah, yeah, where where you could bus you, them, you could you know lo- load everyone on a bus and bus them over, yep. there. and then so then you are trying, then you are kind of keeping the the team in a bubble, um, and you'd have to logistically do it where meals are served. They're not people aren't going out because you go out and you, you risk getting one person infected, and if one gets infected, it could spread to everybody. Um, and so you know, if you can keep the league in a bubble and do that, I. That would be logistically probably the easiest way to do it, but because of the cost and because of the just the the difficulty of doing that, I have a hard time believing that that's going to be the 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 route that they'll take. Instead, they're going to do more like what the NBA is trying to do, and that's just you know have these teams just travel around on private jets so that there's no that no contact with other people and you know do it that way. Um, but then there's there is a completely different alternative, and that is to see what happens when a league opens up. There's no fans, and you do just do a lot of testing and contact tracing um, amongst the employees of the league, and that is what is happening in Europe. And so uh, we've already seen Korean baseball and Taiwanese baseball restart, but both of those countries were really quick to get in, shut everything down, get everything on on track, start testing immediately in very high quantities where they could test and track and quarantine. Um, and they kept their numbers down really low and it like did well. So they were able to return to sports fairly quickly. Uh, but if you look over, over at Europe, and I know Italy has been kind of the the one, the example that everyone looks at because it was really bad there, uh, but it was pretty bad in other places too. Um, one of the places where it was not as bad, but not like uh, in South Korea, would, was Germany. Germany actually had a, a pretty robust response where they got into testing and tracking fairly quickly, and and they were, you know, they had a big surge, but then the, the surge went back down fairly quickly because of of all the the precautions they took. And they in Germany, they are about to reopen the Bundesliga, which is their highest level of soccer, European football. Um, and, um, they're like, they're going to reopen and they're going to reopen without fans in the stands, but they're going to reopen other than the lack of fans. They're just going to reopen. They're going to run things as usual and see what happens. And they are, they are the test case that every other league is watching, um, to see what happens because, because of their testing protocols there. Um, they're doing very minimal changes to disrupt the daily lives of everyone who works for the league. And they're just going to try and go about business as usual, minus the fans and the stands. And if it works, then we're going to see the NFL this year. Um, if it doesn't, if they have to shut down in a month, I say if they have to shut down in a month because it didn't work, that's going to put uh, the likelihood of the NFL returning much lower. So logistically, let's talk about testing because you've mentioned testing dozens of times in this podcast already. And I totally mm-hmm. agree with you. What confidence level do you have that we're going to get to that point where we've got quick testing, like five minute testing or 10 minute or 15 minute testing or whatever it is that the league decides that they're going to go with. Um, what if the league has access to all this testing, but the rest of society doesn't, I mean, is that is that cool? Uh, what if uh, we don't have testing in the way that you've described it um, as as being needed? 
What if that isn't in place yet? What if we don't have contact tracing? We don't, we don't have antibody stuff. Um, we're certainly hearing that we will, but we've heard that for a couple of months now. Um, so my confidence level well, is zero that it will happen. What we've heard, what we've heard is that it's needed and the expectation was that it would be done. That was the whole reason for the stay-at-home exactly. orders to begin with, was to buy time exactly. to create that. But we had a lack of a response. It was like, okay, we we did we shut everything down in order to buy time, but nothing was done with the time. And so now you're seeing um, it, that change. And so it's not being run uh it's not there's no central organization of any of that testing or any of that but it's going to be done like everything else piecemeal <clears throat> and so you see the state of washington massively ramping up their testing ability and hiring 1200 people whose only job is going to be contact contact tracing in order to try and do what needs to be done for the washington state economy to open up in full mm-hmm. um and that is great if if because what you what you're going to see is you're going to see that kind of stuff happening in various places and that's going to provide a lot of uh confidence confidence and and a lot of cushion for uh the society to to do things because that's what's ne- that's what's necessary if you want to reopen in the middle of a pandemic you need massive testing like a uh, very high volume um, of quality testing tests. and contact tracing. Yes. And yeah, so we're, so you're, you're going to see that. And one of the things that, so there is a 15 minute test, um, but the problem is that you can do them one at a time, which doesn't help that much because the, what you would then need is uh, 5,000 of the machines to do the test. So that way you can do, because you can do them one at a time per the machine. Um, and so that's not all that realistic to, to think about the just the size of the laboratories where these testing would, would need mm-hmm. to be if you're going to do this this 15-minute test. But for a league like the NFL, is it really, especially if they centralize some of the games and stuff and not um, not try and use 30 stadiums? Um, well, right now the plan is that they're going to use 32, 32 stadiums, right? Or 30 or whatever it is, right? But 30. we could get to a point yeah, where they consolidate that. Two teams that. in LA and two teams in, in New York. Right. Um, but yeah, so if, if, they, if they try and do it spread out over the whole country um, in 30 stadiums, that could be much more challenging. But if they do centralize it, which is one of the poss- logistical possibilities that we talked about, um, it becomes much easier because now you don't, you're not flying these samples around or you're not setting up these laboratories in um, 32 places, right? So, but you, if you can, the league can buy the machines, they can buy the tests, they can buy the chemicals and set up the tests themselves. If they hire, um, you know, the, the biochemists that can do it, um, it, those, these things aren't out of the question. So if they want to use that test and they need to buy a thousand of those machines, they have the option to do it. It hasn't proven to be, uh, logistically, feasible to do it on a massive scale to cover the whole country. But we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about how do we cover a league and your point of, well, is it right for the league to have all these tests and not the rest of us who also need them? Like it would be better for the entire society if we had um, testing and tracking. Well, that's, I mean, that's uh, not really. That's America. <laughs> that's America. I mean, it is because basically <clears throat> because because you look at it. I mean, I would say it's not really for us to decide, and it kind of is. But um, basically, what it is is the people who would need to spend the money to give us the tests aren't willing to do so, and the people who need to spend the money to give the NFL their tests are willing to do so, and that's just what it's going to be. If you are a person of means in this country, you've had access to tests from the beginning. And if you aren't a person of means in this country, you've probably still don't have access to tests in most states. And that is a major problem. It's a completely political issue that is not something that we need to talk about on this particular show, but it is kind of the nature of where we are right now. And I don't think that uh, we need to look at the NFL and say, no, they have to fix it. They have to fix this issue before they're allowed to play again because it's not their issue to fix. 
if they have maybe the they ability to buy the machines lead. to run the tests. Maybe they can lead by example. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe they, they buy the machines necessary to run the test because they need the turnaround time to be at, at a certain frequency. But then those machines aren't but those machines aren't being used twenty four seven. So they can um also run tests for local cities and help increase testing capacity um during those non peak times of the NFL te- you know what i mean like that kind of situation and they can help but it is like i said it's not the NFL's responsibility to fix our uh problems with you know class distinctions and 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 that kind of stuff it's it's not it's our responsibility to elect people that are going to represent us in a way that we want them to uh, in helping fix these things. So John Fraley's list was uh, pretty comprehensive and I want to thank him again for providing that and, and opening that up for major discussion. Uh, one of the things he didn't talk about that I wanted to talk about briefly on here was the mental aspect of this whole thing, the psychological mm-hmm. aspect of how this affects us, how this affects all fans, how it affects players and coaches and other people that are directly impacted um, by the NFL, you know, society in general. Um, there, it seems to me that there will be a certain population of players or personnel that will have a hard time with this. And there'll be a, a large percentage of the population and a large percentage of the players and so forth that need this that need to be able to get back to work, that want to be able to go mm-hmm. forward, um, not regardless of the risk, but in in spite of the risk. And what is your thought overall on how this is affecting people, how it's affecting the league? And, and um, you know, this could last. This isn't something that's just going to be done in the fall, you know, after, you know, we get through the winter. This thing's probably going to be with us. This time next year, we're going to be sitting down on the show, and we're still going to be talking about these things, I think. Oh, yes and no, um, I, as far as the, the timeline part, just because um, the CDC is and the FDA are pushing really hard <clears throat> to get, the, to get uh, a vaccine through all the tests and everything um, to the point where they're taking like four months off what would be the normal process. Um, in order to get this done. And we have uh, like over a hundred different attempts at making this vaccine worldwide. We have 29 really good ones. Well, we'd have to US develop it, had... but then we'd have to also put it into play. So you're talking about vaccinating 7 billion people. I mean, that would take logistically mm. uh, at least a year to vaccinate people, wouldn't it? Yes, but we're not talking about vaccinating 7 billion people to get the league back together. We're talking about vaccinating, um, you know, the couple thousand of league employees and um, and then uh, to start working on vaccinating the general population so we can put the people back in the stands. And with that in mind uh, and the fact that you've got, uh, you know, the Gates Foundation that is already building factories. They don't know what they're going to be producing in them because we don't have a vaccine yet, but they're building the factory necessary to mass produce the the vaccine now, trying to get a jump on um, the process so that we, we can ramp up uh, production of the vaccine very quickly. I actually um, personally think that we're going to see, because we already have eight in our country that have moved on, uh, that are in phase two, uh, which is larger a larger population, and they're actually um, getting these people tracking their antibodies, getting them exposed to see if it prevent it creates immunity. I mean, this is a huge test. And then uh, phase three is 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 on a much larger scale. They've already passed phase one, which is a safety check. So um, you know we're they're they're moving along at a very high rate of speed. I would be. Uh, very surprised if we didn't have a vaccine starting to become available um, in the early parts of 2021, and I'd say by September um, of next year, when the league was, was you know the games were supposed to start, that uh, COVID nineteen is not 
the, uh, a major topic anymore because of vaccinations. I mean, and people might say that's optimistic, but you look at the rate at which the research is going to try and get this vaccine in place. And at some point, you know, when you have this many different uh, countries or um, research facilities all, you know, trying to figure this out, somebody's going to get one and it's going to work and we're going to everyone's going to be like, okay, let's that formula, let's um, mass produce it and get it out to the world. And once we have that, life goes back to normal. I'm optimistic. I'm hopeful. I mean, that sounds like a great message. Um, cool. <laughs> I I honestly haven't paid attention to that aspect of it, so I appreciate the information on that. Um, that would certainly solve many, many issues and problems and um, something to hope hope for for sure so how do we mm-hmm. wrap this thing up keith how do you want to end this so that we tie it all together and leave here i mean feeling good i mean you know the the, the hopefulness of the of the vaccine is is that um mm-hmm. but you know how do we move forwards where we're you're confident that we're going to at least give this a go and uh i'm talking 2020 season and there's a reasonable chance that we can finish the season and have a Super Bowl champion at the end. Um, man, I have a hard time believing that we're going to see a 17 game season, full playoff, and Super Bowl. I it's it is it's hard to see on normal schedule. Yeah. I could definitely see the team, the the league itself, pushing the start of the league back a month and just pushing everything out, so that way the Super Bowl would then be. Um, the first weekend of March rather than the first weekend of February. What um, what, and what I, would you push it back for, and what would prevent you from keep keep pushing it back? Like, what would have to be in place in order for it to be pushed back, and what would have to change in order for it to start? Like, once you push something back, it seems like you could just keep going. Uh, you would have to push it back because it would be a we are working on the logistics of getting all this testing in place so that we're ready to do it. But we, we don't have the machines yet. We don't have the testing capacity yet, but but we have paid for them. We're waiting for them to be delivered. Uh, We're going to push everything back a month and then we'll start. Um, And so you're basically buying yourself that time. The league could also choose to do that, push everything back a month and then cancel the first four games of the season, which actually gets them another month. So now you've got two extra months to get all these logistics in place in place that are necessary. So um, let me ask you this, and we haven't even talked about this. What about um, team facilities, training camp, getting new uh, players acclimated? You know, not only rookies, but you've got a whole host of free agents on every team and people that haven't been associated with the team or brand new to the team this year, incorporating all of that together um, where – you know, so far teams haven't even been able to meet uh, together. How do you mm-hmm. kind of incorporate that and in a realistic fashion as well? Well, I think you can do some of it in a social distancing manner. You have um, like the weight rooms and that kind of stuff. You, you know, only have so many people in there and you everyone to say a certain distance apart and you have people walking around with bleach uh, water and, and stuff and you're just disinfecting everything constantly. And I think you can can rotate people through um, in a way that you get people in there. I think you can get all of the rookies and new people into the facility to do some of those things or to um, sit in a film room with a coach or a teammate, social distance, you know, keep the six feet um, and, but still have those kind of meetings and stuff. You can do, you can do stuff via, uh, the internet and have those kind of like, um, you know, film study where you're, you're looking at, okay, so here in this play, here's your responsibilities. And, you know, what are you seeing here and all of that? You can do that, uh, remotely. And, and that's actually what the teams are supposed to be doing right now is they're having a virtual off season and it's been extended all the way to June 1st now. Um, but to try and get these teams mentally up to speed, um, during this time, uh, by doing these sort of things. And it's different. It's not going to be the same. It's going to 
Um, things are going to have to be simplified for some of these rookie players because they're just not getting the reps, um, which are necessary. But you know what? Um, every team's in the same in the same boat as far as that stuff goes. So I don't see it being like a competitive issue. And I, I just don't see this as that big of a deal. Um, you know, if we're all in the it, same boat and everyone starts on the same schedule and everyone has the mm-hmm. same basic time frames, then you go in and, and people aren't as prepared as normal years. They're, but we're all prepared in the same way. And so you just go in and you just play. I mean, you, mm-hmm. there still have preseason games scheduled. So you, maybe instead of four, you've got two and you go work out some kinks there and you just start the season and you're not quite as polished. You know, the brand is uh, not quite as, as good as it normally is, but yet we're playing. So that's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, the the, the idea that preseason is going to go on, I mean, that, that also gives them like a way to test things out and, and see, I have a hard time believing they're even going to do a preseason in this environment, but that's just me. Um, and they scheduled it and we'll see what happens. Um, it doesn't even make sense that they would have four games in preseason with no fans. You know, it just, it would just be silly. I, I would just do two at the most. I mean, you might as well just not even have a preseason and just jump right into the games because it's all going to be kind of wishy-washy the first couple of weeks anyway. So, Or if you're going to do anything, um, have one and you don't bring anybody who has been on, was on the team last year and has more, has three or more years of experience in the league. Those people are not allowed to come. They have to stay home. (laughs) That's funny. Um, And so it's only the people who are new to the team that you're trying to get a couple reps for um, and young players that are fighting for their job. And that's it. Um, And And you got the roster and boom. Yeah. And that's, that's that to me, that's what I would, would set up, but that's, this is just such a weird year. It's just going to be weird. I mean, when we get, when we get through this thing, it's just going to be one of those deals. I will, I will fly you to Phoenix for the, the Seahawks game in 2021 or whatever. And we'll like throw back a couple beers at the local brewery and, uh, reminisce about good times. (laughs) Yeah. So any hoodaloo, let's wrap this thing up. Uh, so COVID-19, I think we'll, we'll leave that there for a while and, uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty of discussion as training camp gets closer and so forth, but let's let some time get underneath this thing and see what happens and not speculate. It's really, it's, it's Mm -hmm. tough to speculate about stuff. Of course, all of these things could happen, but you know what? They're not happening right now. We're moving forward. The league's moving forward as if things are quote unquote normal. And we'll just see where we, where we are in September. And um, if we can play, we play and that'll be, that'll be great. I think great for the fans. Uh, Even if we're not able to be in the stands, which will be another very weird thing, especially for Seahawks fans. Um, But at least we're able to watch the games on, on TV route for our favorite players, et cetera. So any final thoughts, Keith? Yeah, I would say like it's different for the NFL than it is for the NBA or Major League Baseball because they're trying to start now. The NFL is in a situation where they can sit back and wait and watch and let Major League Baseball and the NBA try, you know, do the trial by fire thing and figure it out as they go and learn from someone else's mistakes. And the German Bundesliga, and as the other uh, leagues around the world, you know, all start up, they they can watch and learn. And the NFL season doesn't start until September. It's only May. They've got time to figure all this out. Whereas the NBA wants to start playing right away. Um, Major League Baseball wants to start playing right away. Like they they are trying to figure this out on the fly. The NFL has the luxury of sitting back and waiting. And that is a nice position to be in because they don't have to be the first one through the door. Cool. So let's let this thing play out. Uh, Come back next week. We'll have a brand new topic for you. And I don't know what that is yet, but we'll get to it and uh, have a great 
um, in-depth conversation as per the norm. So find Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I'm at NW Seahawk. The show is at Hawks Playbook on Twitter. Seahawksplaybook.com has all of your shows archived and uh, locate us on your favorite podcast app and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss uh, a show and it lands in your uh, feed every week. So thanks again for joining us for this show and uh, look forward to seeing you guys or uh, having you guys join us next time on the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Hawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Podcasts or listen at our website, hawksplaybook.com. Follow us on Twitter. Phil is at NWC Hawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. See you next week and go Hawks. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.